Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, we understand what it means to be guilty as charged. It's not that the, the doctrine of God or the doctrine of the Christian faith or the doctrine of Christianity is difficult to comprehend. It's not. I think it's more we don't want to move in the direction of comprehending those doctrines because we don't want to go where those doctrines lead us. So we suppress the truth about God. We refuse to glorify or give thanks to Him. And as a result, the Bible says that we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. In other words, man is literally and utterly cut off from any understanding of God. make any good diamond shine, we need a black backdrop underneath it. And that's precisely what Paul does here in Romans chapter 3. Welcome to the program. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Romans chapter 3, Paul takes out the black backdrop of depravity, (laughs) sin, to show us how bad we are that we might see how great the gospel is. For the details, once again, Pastor Steve. I answer the the idea that this hinders your evangelistic efforts by saying this. I think a proper understanding of this, and this is true in my own life, it actually gives me greater motivation to share the gospel with those who have yet to hear it. I mean, if it's true that the sinner left by themselves never naturally seeks out God, how is that individual ever going to come to Christ unless other people sent by God carry the gospel to them? That's why he said, go into all the world. Well, yeah, but if you go out there and share with people, they're not going to be able to respond anyway. Isn't that your point? That's true. Not by themselves. They can't respond in and of themselves to the gospel. That's why the Bible says it's through the preaching. It's through the teaching of the gospel that God chooses to call people to faith. And anyone who obeys God and takes the gospel to the lost can be encouraged to know that God will work through that means. That's why in this church we preach the gospel. We preach the Bible. We don't preach five ways to have a happy family. Because we believe that these words have power. They have power to transform lives. That's why when you share your testimony, it shouldn't be all about you. I've heard testimonies, beloved, sometimes that it makes me cringe. Tells about all the bad things. I was pretty bad, you know. I did this and I did that. Murdered people. And then I got saved. Praise God. That's the end of the testimony. It's like, wait a minute. Great. Okay, you had this rough background. You can include that. Why don't we include some scripture? Why don't we talk a little bit about the grace of God? Why don't we talk about about the power of God that pulled you out of that? Include, always include scripture in your testimony with someone. God will work through that. That's why as evangelists we're called to pray for the sinner. Why? We know that if they're left on their own, there's nothing but the work of God left. It's certainly not by our own eloquence or our own charm or our own nifty little track or our own little whatever we have next to try to share the gospel with people. That's not going to save them. 
And people say also, well, you, surely you're not saying to go out and tell, tell someone who's not a Christian about this. I mean, you know, here in the, in the church, you know, we're all Christians, hopefully, and, and we can talk about this freely. But, I mean, I would never share this with someone who's not a Christian. Why not? Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's exactly what the sinner needs to hear, beloved. They don't need to hear some fancy little story about how Jesus is going to make them happy and wealthy and wise and, and, and healthy. That's not going to save them. That's exactly what the sinner needs to hear. There is no hope. You can't choose God. It's only in such understanding that sinful human beings learn how desperate their situation is and how absolutely essential the grace of God is. See, if we're hanging on even to the slightest little bit of our own self-confidence concerning our own spiritual ability, no matter how small, we will never really seriously worry about our condition. There'll be no sense of urgency. How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and their response is, well, you know, life's long. I got a long life ahead of me. You know, I'll have time down the road to believe that and maybe commit my life down the road. Why? Because they believe that somehow they can bring themselves to believe when they want to believe. I even had one person who was pretty literate in the Bible said, well, what about the thief on the cross? I mean, he waited the last minute. Why couldn't I? That was his mentality. I'm going to wait till my dying. I'm going to have a good time. And then the last minute, I'm just going to cry out, Jesus, save me, and I'll go to heaven. That's great. If it's, the decision's up to you. At least most people are ready to take a chance on that kind of thinking. But see, if we believe what the Bible says, that we're truly dead in sin, as Paul says we are, and we've gone over that in the previous weeks, and if that involves our will as well as other parts of our body, we're all dead psychologically, spiritually, we're dead, maybe then we'll find ourselves in despair. Maybe then we'll find ourselves saying, well, wait a minute, this is a pretty bleak situation, what do we do now? Maybe then we will see our state as hopeless apart from any supernatural and totally unmerited working of the grace of God in our life. And you know what? That's exactly what God wants. That's exactly what God wants. We serve a God who will not have us boasting even in the smallest human contribution or effort in our salvation. It's only as we renounce all such vain possibilities that he will show us the way of salvation through Christ and lead us to him. That's our introduction. So turn your hearts to Romans chapter 3. We've looked at the question in verse 9, what then, are we any better off? Some translations say, are we Jews any better off? We've explained that that's probably talking about the Christians, Paul and the other Christians there in Rome. Because he's covered every other group. And Paul concludes, no, we're not any better off. Just because we're Christians, we're not any better off as far as our, our nature is concerned. We're as bad as everybody else. We're all under sin. And he's tried to show them that through creation. He's tried to show them that through their conscience. He's tried to show them that in a myriad of ways. And finally he says, okay, you know what? 
the cherry on top of the Sunday is, I'm not going to mess around anymore. I'm going to give it to you straight, right from God. As it is written, he says in verse 10. I'm going to tell you what God thinks about this situation. And then he begins to talk about human depravity. He begins to talk out of Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7.20. And he says, there is none righteous, not even one. We looked at that last week. There's none righteous. That's total depravity. That word righteous basically means perfect. We looked at three basic views of human nature. The first view said, well, man is essentially good. That's very liberal. You know, man is good. They're kind of evolving and they're, they're, they're born well and good and everything and then this world makes them bad. The second view basically says that man is sick, but hopefully he'll get better. The third view, the biblical view, says that no, man is neither well nor sick. He's dead. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we began to look at this corruption, the sinful heart, the first thing, the three elements. The first element we looked at was the moral nature. It says none is righteous. No, not one. And I encourage you to get the tape from last week or go on the website or whatever and listen to that message because it talks about righteousness, what it is, and how Jesus said, you know what? You want to get to heaven? You have to be perfect. You can't just be good. You have to be perfect. Well, what's perfect mean? Perfect as the Father is perfect. You mean you've got to be perfect like God? Yep. That's the qualification to get to heaven. Well, who's going to do that? Exactly. That's Paul's point. That's God's point. Nobody. Nobody's perfect. Not even one. That's the standard. How does God expect anybody to get to heaven? He doesn't. On their own. <laughs> he doesn't on their own. That's the whole point of the gospel. If you could get there on your own, do you think somehow that Jesus, I mean, if we could work our way to heaven, do you think that God for one moment would spare his only son to do, go through what he went through? If there was even the slightest possibility that a human being could do it on their own? As a father, answer yourself that question. I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel. There was no way. But he says he'll take care of you through the righteousness of Christ. It's not good and bad. It's bad and perfect. Those are the two choices. And you have to be perfect in order to get to heaven. The problem we think, unfortunately, is that we think all the good things we do and we think of our own righteousness somehow as being the same as God's righteousness. And I closed last week with that illustration of Monopoly money. When you play with Monopoly money, it has a purpose in the game. But if you took the, the 500 and $382 of Monopoly money from your game and went down to the bank and said, hey, I want to make a big deposit, and you shoved across the counter Monopoly money, what would happen? They'd laugh at you. They'd say, you're nuts. We're not going to honor this. Why? Because that Monopoly money has a purpose in the game, but it has no purpose in the bank. That's the difference between human righteousness on the one hand and the righteousness that God requires from us. Human righteousness is like monopoly money. It has a purpose in life, the game we call life, but it's not real currency in God's domain. God requires divine righteousness. And the only way that we can have that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the moral nature, there's none righteous. 
We're going to cover the sinful mind this morning in the closing moments. It says, no one understands. No one understands. Three words. Paul makes this second pronouncement here about human beings in their sinful condition. And he says, you know what? We don't understand spiritual things. No one does. Now, we have to draw a line of demarcation here in the sand because he's speaking of the lack of spiritual perception. Not merely the lack of human, what? Knowledge. We got a lot of people that are, have a lot of spiritual human knowledge. But they don't have spiritual perception. If we think that we can compare our understanding with someone else's understanding, somebody might have better understanding than we do. That's the way it works in the world. But never follow someone based upon their intellect or their proposed wisdom, self-proclaimed wisdom. That's where people get misled. See, we need to see that in spiritual matters, the important thing is that no one truly understands God or seeks to know him spiritually. And that's what he says. And that's from Psalm 14.2. It's from Psalm 53.3. See, the point is, man is not only bad, but he doesn't even understand what good is. He has a warped view of good. And so you can understand that this is not a, a, a cozy picture we're painting here. It's rather bleak. But that's Paul's point. That's the whole point of the gospel. Man has no way of understanding spiritual truth. He has no right understanding of God. He has no right apprehensions of God. He has no ability in his humanness to understand the truth of God. Look over at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And it's filled with Greeks. If you know anything about the Greek culture, they value wisdom. They value intellect. That's Greek philosophers. That was just, the, the, everything they were about that was, was wisdom and, and grasping knowledge. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, look at what he says. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why did Paul say that? Why would he say that? I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Two reasons. First of all, he understood that human wisdom was bankrupt. Human wisdom was bankrupt. Look at verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of what? Wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. Look to the left, verse 18 of chapter 1. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. 
For it is written, once again, referring back to the word of God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? He asked the question rhetorically. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In making that indictment, he's basically saying, you know what, wisdom is bankrupt. And the people in the Corinthian church knew it because they were Greek. They, they went down that road of philosophy and wisdom and they probably had their little soothsayers and, and the, the people telling them stuff and they realized it was empty. Why? Because they came to Christ. He's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ here. And so they knew that that way was bankrupt. The second way Paul makes his decision here is saying that among the Greeks, I just want to preach Christ crucified and he says it in verse 14 of chapter 2 he says 1 Corinthians 2 14 the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they are folly to him look at what it says at the end and he is what not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned they're spiritually discerned What does that mean? Does that mean that someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't have the Spirit of God, can't have a rational understanding of Christianity? It doesn't mean that. Does that mean that a non-Christian can't pick this book up and, and read words on the page and understand it? It doesn't mean that. There's a lot of liberal scholars, beloved, in seminaries across the United States that can probably run circles around most of us theologically and explain theological principles as well as any other part of human knowledge, but they're not even converted. An unbelieving philosopher can lecture accurately on the claims of Christ, on the claims of Christianity, on their idea of God. The unbelieving historian can can sit down and tell you about the Reformation and tell you about things you probably don't even know. They don't have the spirit. They're not a believer. But they know the facts. In Romans, go back to Romans 1. We're reminded why this is so. What causes this spiritual ignorance? It says in verse 19 of Romans 1, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the 
immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, it's not that the the doctrine of God or the doctrine of the Christian faith or the doctrine of Christianity is difficult to comprehend. It's not. I think it's more we don't want to move in the direction of comprehending those doctrines because we don't want to go where those doctrines lead us. So we suppress the truth about God. We refuse to glorify or give thanks to him. And as a result, the Bible says that we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. In other words, man is literally and utterly cut off from any understanding of God in a spiritual sense. In closing, I just want you to turn to one more scripture and I promise I'm done. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. Paul writes... Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18. They are what? Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. See, the lights have gone out. I mean, they're understanding's darkened, they're alienated from the life of God, they're ignorant, they're blind. That's the picture of man. And that's a hopeless picture outside of God's divine intervention. That word blindness there is interesting. It comes from a a word that speaks of a stone harder than marble. And it says there, he's not only blind, he's hopeless. (laughs) You can't put anything in it, he's like a rock. You ever met people like that? I have. And then one day, what happens? God opens their eyes spiritually. And they have a love for Christ that you never would imagine they would have. Because God transforms their thinking. He transforms who they are. He makes them a new person in Christ. But the Bible says here that they're blind, they're ignorant, and yet they're professing to be wise, they're professing to see, and yet they can't see. That's why we need to take the gospel out. That's why we need to live lives that are exemplary of Christ. And a lot of times when you tell people those problems, they don't want to hear it. They run away from you. And that's why we should be out there sharing the gospel with those who've yet to hear. Because that's how they will come to a knowledge of the Savior. Please understand that we are pursued by God. We don't pursue God. We are pursued by Him. He sought us. We run from Him and run from Him and run from Him. He's known as the Hound of Heaven. And He just comes after us relentlessly. God has given us understanding that we don't have. He gives us that spiritual understanding to perceive the gospel. We all, if we're believers here today, we remember the day probably when God turned the light switch on and we realized, wow, I need to commit my life to Christ. I'm a sinner on my way to hell and unless I do this, I'm going to be utterly lost. And last of all, he has given us a righteousness that we don't have in and of ourselves. We could never have. It's his righteousness through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust this morning that your faith, that your hope is in Christ, in his righteousness, and not your own. 
And this has been Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, consider this a formal invitation to join us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you would like further information and directions, simply visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. We have a men's fellowship Saturday breakfast coming up the 18th of this month. Guys, it'd be a great time to come out and say hi and enjoy a great breakfast and a wonderful time of fellowship. And then mark it on your calendar November 7th, 8th, and 9th. Our Fall Israel and Bible Conference takes place during those days. No registration is needed. Friday at 7 p.m., Saturday 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with Sunday at 10 a.m. Dr. David Hawking is our guest speaker. And a flyer with more information is available at our website, gracebibleonline.org. Or, if you wish, give us a call, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, you can visit us on the web at 